All right, we're going to read from Psalm 150. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're getting ready to praise the Lord with the band behind us, but before we do, let's recite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's praise the Lord.
This is the part of the service where we do communion. So when you came in the entrance, you should have got a little communion packet. Um, the juice is Jesus' blood shed for you. And the little wafer is Jesus' body broken for you. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after he took the cup, saying, This is the cup, or this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in another unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Father in heaven, we just thank you. We thank you for dying on the cross that a great number of people could live through you, for you paying for their sins, for you making them alive in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Good morning. Thanks for braving the rain to come out. <laughs> now is the time in the service for announcements. Um, we'll start with the pill bottle collections for Matthew 25. There is a empty, well, it's probably not empty now, but there is a um, plastic bin in the foyer. That's what I was trying to say for any um, prescription or over-the-counter pill bottles that you'd like to bring in for the pill bottle collections. Ink cartridge collections, we use um, any empty ink cartridges that you're gonna throw away to help reduce any office supply costs here for the church. Food pantry closed closets every Thursday, five to seven. Uh, donations can be dropped off on Thursdays or Sundays after church. Refit free dance fitness class, Tuesday, Thursday, or Friday. Breakfast fellowship is the first Sunday of the month at 9.30. Breakfast is better when we eat together. Food and fellowship is, uh, the theme is favorite foods. Bring your favorite food to share. Um, be Wednesday, June 21st, uh, 6 to 8 p.m. right here in the sanctuary. Free pancake day. So we as a church at Heartland are going to be um, partnering with Bluebird Bus of Hope on Saturday, June 24th at 11 a.m. So we're going to be getting together um, around 10 to make sure we have things loaded up. We're gonna go over to Lakeshore and set up. We're gonna be, um, if you will sign up at the welcome table, we will need people to help out with this. Um, we're gonna be having things for the kids to do, like activities. It's gonna kind of be like a brunch VBS kind of thing mixed into one. So if you're looking for something to do, we will have something for you to do. If you need to sit, we can still find something for you to do. It doesn't mean you have to be active. So we're gonna be serving pancakes. We'll have a toppings table. Um, lots of whipped cream, so if you just want to stand there for a couple hours and do this, we have a station for you. If you want to do some things with the kiddos, we have something for you. If, you just want, if you're not able to be there that day and you want to just pray about the event, we need you for that as well. So can't wait for this. At the outreach yesterday, we were able to spread the word, hey, we'll be back on June 21st, so come out and eat some pancakes. Um, we'll be dropping some flyers off um, Facebook, social media, so if you see it, share it. Um, let people know. It's not just for a lake shore. It just happens to be right at the roadway so that people can come through and see it. This is information about the weekly budget here at the church and ministries that are supported, ways that you can give online and in person. Um, the online giving has changed a little bit, so if that's something you've been doing, you can talk to me or you may have received an email about it. The Chosen will be showing tonight. We are skipping next week, so there's no Chosen next week because of Father's Day. Um, real quick, if you have not gotten your June calendar, this has everything on it. Everything on the website is up to date and current as far as sermons, the calendar, um, all the technical difficulties have been fixed. Thank you to people in the back. Chris, thank you. Um, if you see something that looks off, let us know because we want to make sure it's correct, not just for us. We don't want you to show up on a day that something's not happening, um, but also for people in the community as we're doing more outreach, we want to make sure things are updated so that people can take part and people can show up for everything. Um, we're going to start the 10-minute meet and greet um, in just a minute, and then we will uh, have the kids go downstairs for Children's Church. Thank you so much. All righty. Righty, ready. Running late today as usual, but even later today because electronics don't work all the time. 
or it's operator error more than likely, you know. So uh, before we get uh, into uh, the teaching today, I want to have uh, Dan Simpson, Dan Marsh come forward. We're going to um, uh, have some members come into the church today. So it's going to be um, Melinda and David and then Chris and Kristen. You all come forward as well. So they've all been uh, baptized into the Lord. We've talked about this. Uh, they all have, uh, have said they want to join the church. So I'm going to have you all repeat after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, Christ. the Son of the living God, God, my Lord and my Savior. My Savior. And with that, you uh, join the church. I want to pray over you all. Do you want to say something? You want to say? Okay, okay. I'll pray over you all and uh, <laughs> pray over you all, and then we'll get you these certificates after church so you can... Uh, Make it official, I guess, right? So let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the people you're adding to your church, people who are wanting to grow closer to you and to be, uh, be great servants for you in this church. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon them. Uh, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So welcome them to the church. You can... Next time that happens, I'll do it before um, I'll do it before the meet and greet, so that we can uh, actually go around and hug everybody and stuff like that. But anyway, well, all right. So now it's time to get into the word. Uh, so let's turn together in our Bibles to First Peter, First Peter chapter five, and we're going to read verse twelve. First Peter, first Peter five twelve. So I'm going to put the uh, Holy Spirit on the back burner for right now. I don't mean the Holy Spirit Himself, but that series about the Holy Spirit. A lot of things there that I have a lot of questions myself. People have asked me questions I can't really answer right now, so I'll put those on hold until uh, further notice. And if you do have a question about any of that stuff that I've said, that the, those messages that I've preached, which are now all up on the internet, correct? They're all up on the website. And thank you, Chris, for uh, all the hard work you put in this week to make that possible. So everybody give Chris a round of applause. He's in the back there, and he doesn't... A lot of times those are thankless, thankless tasks, and people only notice Chris when he does something wrong, so we don't want to do that, right? <laughs> want to make sure we recognize him for the hard work he does. Him and Kristen as well, they both do so much work for the church. So uh, today we're going to be at 1 Peter 5, 12, so when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of this teaching is the title of a series, The True Grace of God, and in part one we're going to talk about the false grace of of men. So in 1 Peter 5, 12, the scriptures say, Through Savannah, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Then you may be seated. Grace. That's one of the most important words in the scriptures. But it's also one of the most misunderstood words in the scriptures. So today I want us to start a series of sermons where we learn about the true grace of God. We need to take our time with this because there's so much false teaching about grace that's been taught for so many years and so many people have gone unchallenged with this false teaching that we need to make sure that we learn to identify what false grace is and then learn what true grace is. Now it's going to take some time to do that. I'm not sure, again, how many weeks this, less, this, uh, this uh, series will be, but it's going to take quite a while so that we understand the true grace of God, because it's only the true grace of God that saves us. We are saved by grace, through faith, 
but we have to make sure we understand what true grace is. So that's what we'll talk about. So let's pray. Lord, we ask you to illuminate our minds and our hearts to see the truth, accept the truth, and through your grace, put the truth into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we talk about the true grace of God, let's first talk about the false grace of men. Now, Peter, the Lord's apostle, he wrote two letters about the grace of God. And in Jude 1, 3 through 4, Jude tells us why Peter had to write those letters. Jude says, Beloved, while I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I was constrained to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For there are certain men who crept in secretly, even those who were long ago written about for this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into indecency and denying our only master, God and Lord, Jesus Christ. So wolves had secretly slipped in among God's faithful flock, and they started to teach a grace message that was not in line with the faith that the apostles had handed down to the church. Jude says these teachers turned God's grace into indecency. The Greek word behind the word indecency means sinful abandon, and it carries the idea of giving a license to be sinful. So the NIV brings out Jude's meaning in Jude 4, where it says these false teachers were ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. So false teachers perverted God's grace in such a way that it gave people a license to sin. Now, Peter talks about these men in 2 Peter 2, 17 through 19. He says, these are wells without water, clouds driven by a storm for whom the blackness of darkness has been reserved forever. For uttering great swelling words of emptiness, they entice in the lust of the flesh by licentiousness those who are indeed escaping from those who live in error, promising them liberty while they themselves are bondservants of corruption. For a man is brought into bondage by whoever overcomes him. So here Peter gives us one clue as to why people were being led astray by these false teachers. They were persuasive preachers, charismatic communicators who spoke great, swelling words. They promised the people of God freedom through God's grace. But Peter says these people, their preaching and their promises were all empty. Why? Well, because the freedom they promised carried people away from freedom in Christ and back into bondage to the lust of the flesh from which they'd escaped. And the word licentiousness in 2 Peter 2.18 is the same word Jude used in Jude 4. These men were enticing young believers in the Lord who had just escaped from the corruption of the world. They were enticing them to go back into bondage to the lust of the flesh by turning God's grace into a license for immorality. And Jude says, by their teaching, they were denying Jesus Christ as our only master, God, and Lord. Now, Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. He tells us the result of their false teaching. Now, after talking about the true prophets of God who were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they spoke, as they spoke out the scriptures, Peter says, but false prophets also arose among the people, as false teachers will also be among you, 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, denying even the master who bought them, bringing on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their immoral ways, and as a result, the way of truth will be maligned. In covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Now, it's important we see that people who change grace into a license for immorality are dangerous false teachers who exploit people with deceptive words. And these people arise from within the church. These are people who once knew the true faith and the true grace of God, but they were deceived and led astray into destructive heresies that led them to deny the Lord. Now, this does not mean that they deny that Jesus is Lord. That's not what this is talking about. Now, they still call Jesus Lord and claim to know him. But the problem is they teach a grace message that leads people to deny the Lord by their behavior. The false grace leads people to live lawless lives and think that they're still okay with God. Now, Jesus warned us about this type of false teacher in Matthew 7. He says false teachers come in sheep's clothes. They look like Christians. They talk like Christians. They use Christian language. They hijack the words that we use for their own benefit, for the, for, to try to teach things that the Scriptures don't teach. And they do all kinds of things in the name of Jesus. But Jesus also tells us that we will know they're not true teachers by examining the fruit of their teaching. The false teachers will produce the evil fruit, the evil type of person Jesus describes in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he, and you can add the word only here, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will tell me in that day, and here he's talking about the day of judgment. Many will tell me on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons, and in your name do many mighty works. And then listen to these fearful words from the Lord Jesus. Then I will tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. Now, a lot of translations hide that word right here. It may say iniquity or evil or something like that. The word is lawlessness. People are lawless, so Jesus rejects them. The false teachers who change grace into a license for morality produce people who call Jesus Lord, but do not obey him. They profess to know the Lord Jesus with their lips, but deny his lordship with their lawless lives. They disregard and disobey the commands of the Lord Jesus because they believe obedience is optional when, it come, when, when God's grace has, has us covered. Since the Lord Jesus has come, we don't have to obey God because God has got us covered with, the, with his grace. And through these false teachers and the faulty fruit they produce, the way of truth is maligned. Because people claim to know Jesus, but they live immoral lives. And we all see examples of this all around us. How many people that are so-called stars claim to be Christians, but they live a life that's worse than anything we could ever imagine, right? So why do we as Christians say, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're Christians. They're just not acting right. They might be baby Christian, a little carnal or whatever it is. That's not, that's not the truth, right? This is what Peter's talking about. The way of truth is maligned. See, when people don't obey Jesus then those who claim to be Christians become the object of, of 
what a Christian looks like. When that happens, then the way of truth is maligned. And when people do this, when they claim that they name the name of Christ, but don't depart from lawlessness, well, then Jesus' name is dragged through the mud and shame is brought to his name. And these false grace teachers and those who follow them, well, they will be told by Jesus to depart from them into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And that is a terrifying truth. The multitudes will prophesy or teach in Jesus' name. They'll cast out demons in Jesus' name and do many mighty works in Jesus' name. Many will have a lifelong ministry and build churches believing they're serving Jesus. But on the day of judgment, they'll hear the one that they call their Lord. They'll hear him tell them that he never knew them. And why would Jesus say this? Is it because they thought their good works could save them? Somehow they're earning their way into heaven? Well, that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. No, it's because although they did many good works in the name of Jesus, did all kinds of stuff in his name, they believed a false grace message that taught them they can live lawless lives. They can disobey the Lord Jesus and still be okay with God on judgment day. See, that false teaching about God's grace had already begun in the early church. And that message is so widespread among professing Christians today that people think the good news of the gospel goes something like this. Because Christ Jesus died on the cross for our sins, God can no longer see our sins, and God's grace allows him to accept us no matter what we do. Now, to illustrate how deeply rooted this false grace message is in the modern church, let's talk for a minute about Christian music. I literally cannot stand most modern Christian music. And if you doubt this, then ask my family. See, I ruin so many songs for them because I'm always dissecting those songs, pointing out the false doctrine in those songs, and telling them to turn that trash off. And that's not too strong of a word, right? It's literal trash. That may seem a little extreme, but think about this. How many of us get a song stuck in our heads? And then we repeat the lyrics of that song over and over for several hours or even days. Now, if the song is a good song, well, that's fine. But if the song, what if, what if the song is laced with false teaching? What if the song is like this popular song that's heard several times a day on the radio by millions of listeners? Listen to the words of this song. I'm fully known and loved by you. You won't let go no matter what I do. And it's not one or the other. It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be fully known and loved by you. And before I go any further, is that false doctrine in that song? False doctrine? How many of you have heard this song this week? How many of you get that song stuck in your head and you run around singing that song? I mean, I raise my hand because preparing this, the song is stuck in my head. But this song right here is the same grace message the false teachers were peddling in Peter's day. It's a license for immorality. So we can do whatever we want, and God's grace has got us covered. God will always love us the same, and God will never let go of us no matter what we do. And I'm just going to say it like it is. Again, that song is trash. That song is worse than awful. And none of us need to get that false teaching stuck in our heads. 
But there is some truth in that song, right? The hard truth is the grace this artist sings about so passionately, well, that grace is ridiculous grace. And it's ridiculous because it's not true, right? So I agree, yeah, you're teaching ridiculous grace. Now, this, one of the saddest things about that, though, is the person who sings that song now has his own church. He's, he's like a pastor of a church. And it's so sad. Millions of people are going to follow this dude into the pit of hell because he doesn't understand grace. And sadly, the sentiment, sentiment of that song is representative of what many professing Christians believe about God's grace. That God's grace allows us to do whatever we want, and God will never let go of us. He is obligated to forgive us. He's obligated to drag us into heaven, kicking and screaming if he has to. It's just not true grace, right? Now let's talk about how these false teachers snuck into, snuck this grace message into the early church and how, it's, how that message is so popular in our day. Well, Peter tells us in his second letter, after talking about the coming judgment where God will renovate the earth by fire, and make a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, Peter concludes with these words in 2 Peter 3, 14 through 18. He says, Therefore, beloved, seeing that you look for these things, be diligent to be found in peace without defect and blameless in his sight. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things. In those letters, there are some things that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unsettled twist, as they also do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing these things beforehand, beware, lest being carried away by, with the error of the wicked, you fall from your own steadfastness but grow in the true grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, notice that Peter tells us to be diligent to do the things that will lead us to be found without defect and blameless in the Lord's sight so that we can be at peace with him when he comes. And that verse right there, it just destroys any idea that God is only seeing us through the, like this skin of Jesus that we got on us somehow. We have to do the things that are going to lead to peace. If that was all in Jesus' hands, then we don't have to do anything. But the truth is, we do have to do the things that lead us to peace with God so that we can be at peace when he comes. Also notice that Peter calls Paul's letters Scripture. And then Peter tells us the way false teachers sneak their false teaching into the church. It's by misinterpreting and misapplying the Scriptures, and especially Paul's letters. Peter says Paul's letters contain, contain some things that are hard to understand. And then false teachers twist those letters and the other scriptures to teach something that is simply not there. So what we learn here is these false teachers had the scriptures. They read the scriptures. They taught the scriptures. And they used the scriptures to prove their teaching about grace. But Peter says they were not teaching true grace. They were twisting the scriptures to carry away people captive back into the wickedness that, led, that, that they had already escaped from. And this would result in their destruction. Now, I want, I want everybody to, to, to interact with me here for a minute. How many of us have ever been taught that the Scriptures are so clear 
that anybody can understand the main message of the scriptures and all we really have to do is read the scriptures and we'll all come to the same conclusion and then we'll all know the truth. Has anybody ever been told that? If you've been told, let's raise our hands up. I mean, I've been taught that. We've been taught that, right? So let me ask you another question. How many of us who've raised our hands just now, how many of us have ever had to read a, a book different other than the scriptures to understand what the scriptures say? How many of us? How many of us? All right, so doesn't the second thing nullify the first thing? If the scriptures are so clear that anybody can understand, why do I need anybody to tell me what the scriptures mean? See, the problem is that's simply not true. It's not true that the scriptures are clear enough that anybody who picks it up and reads it will all come to the same conclusion. See, Peter clearly says the scriptures contain some teachings, even teachings about salvation, that are hard to understand. And people who are ignorant of the apostles' teaching and unsettled in the apostolic faith, well, they misuse and they twist the scriptures to their own destruction. So what this means is we can't just give everyone a Bible and a blessing, tell them to read the scriptures and think that everyone is going to come to the same conclusions. See, there's been a 400-year-long experiment that proves that this is just a bad idea. So we've given everybody the scriptures and told them that they can interpret those for themselves. And the result is new groups claiming to be the only church. Well, they pop up everywhere. Every week, somewhere right now, somebody's starting a church and saying, we're the only church. We found this in the scriptures. We're the only one. Everybody else got it wrong. Now, what's the reason for this? Well, it's because people not only need to be given the scriptures, they also need to be taught how to read the scriptures. See, there's a filter that we all need to apply as we read the scriptures. And Peter tells us what that filter is in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. I'm talking about himself and the other apostles. Peter says, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice come out of heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the more sure word of prophecy. And you do well that you heed it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation. For no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke, being moved by the Holy Spirit. What's Peter's point in all the stuff he just said? Peter says that he and the apostles heard the voice of God the Father. Well, this is on the Mount of when Jesus was transfigured. They heard the voice of God the Father, who told them that Jesus is God's Son. He's the the, the person whom the prophetic scriptures predicted would come. So God the Father, he gives the apostles a clear understanding of what the prophetic scriptures taught when he says, here's the one that these were pointing to. And because God gave Peter and the apostles understanding of the meaning of the scriptures, well, the apostles now have a more sure prophetic word. And now people are to pay attention to the apostles' teaching until the morning star arises in their hearts. So Peter then says that no prophecy, no teaching of the Scripture is to be interpreted privately. And then Peter tells us why. He says it's because 
just as the Holy Spirit carried some men along and through those men wrote the scriptures, the Holy Spirit also carried other men along who interpreted the meaning of the scriptures. See, without the interpretation of the scriptures, just reading the scriptures doesn't do us any good. And this is why we have all these different groups that claim to be the true church, because they don't read the scriptures through the filter of the apostolic faith. In 2 Peter 3, 1 through 2, Peter tells us he and the other apostles are those whom God chose to be the interpreters of the scriptures. Peter says, this is now, beloved, the second letter that I have written to you, and in both of them I stir up your sincere mind by reminding you that you should remember the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So the words spoken before by the holy prophets, those are, Peter's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. The words that holy men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the commandments of the apostles of the Lord, well, those are the interpretations, the traditions, the teachings and practices handed down by the apostles of Jesus who interpreted the meaning of the scriptures as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what Jesus promised his apostles in John 16, 13. He said, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, many of us read these words as if these were, this were a promise that the Holy Spirit would guide each and every individual believer into all truth. But the entirety of chapter 16 of John's gospel was spoken to the 11 apostles. So by this time, Judas had already gone out to do what he was going to do and betray the Lord. But Jesus spoke these words to his 11 apostles. The Holy Spirit would move the apostles to understand the scriptures and lead them into all truth so that they could teach the truths of the apostolic faith to others. And what this means is the Christian faith is not just about what the scriptures say, but much more importantly, what the scriptures mean. And what the scriptures mean was given to the apostles of the Lord Jesus who were led by the Holy Spirit to interpret the scriptures, and their interpretations became the apostolic faith. That's what Jude was arguing for when he writes his letter. Hold on to the truth of the apostolic faith that was handed down to you, the set of teachings and practices that were once for all delivered to the church. See, when people try to interpret the scriptures privately without this apostolic filter, well, it leads to destructive heresies that lead people away from the true faith. You know, every error in the history of the church came from people within the church who tried to interpret the scriptures for themselves without this apostolic filter. And this is especially true in our day. It's multiplied hundreds of thousands of times at this point. And it's especially true with the letters of Paul and Paul's teaching about grace. So many people read Paul's letters as if Paul taught grace gives us a license for morality. Um. I don't know if I want to tell you that. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. I was going to tell you to go look at something, but I'll tell you what, what, what happened. It says, so I was looking yesterday. I was listening to this guy preach. The title of the sermon is, uh, he said something about God's grace, but he said in this sermon, he said, you cannot out the grace of God. And guess whose letters he used to prove that? Whose letters did he use? Paul, right? He didn't go to Jesus. Jesus never said anything like that. Paul said things that may sound like that, but... Again, Peter says those things are hard to understand. And this dude that was preaching this message, thank God he only had like 32 views on the video. But this guy, 
is teaching a false grace message because he doesn't understand the apostolic faith. He got into Paul's letters, found something he thought was true, but he didn't run it through the filter. And because he didn't run it through the filter, everybody that's following this dude is deceived, and they will end up being destroyed, right? That's not good. So many people read Paul's letters as if he's given a grace for or a license for morality. And this is not Paul's fault. Not Paul's fault. It's largely a result of a faulty system that teaches people to interpret Paul and other scriptures without the safeguard of the apostolic filter. And that's why Peter wrote both of his letters. He wants his readers to remember to read Paul's letters and to read all the other scriptures through the apostolic filter, to remember the apostolic faith about the true grace of God. Remember what the apostles taught about the true grace of God. So what did the apostles teach about the true grace of God? Well, you're going to need to come back next week to hear the answer to that question, or at least to hear the full answer, because I'm going to leave you with something that you can chew on this week to think about this. It's a passage in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 1 2 through 4, Peter says this, Grace to you and peace be multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue, by which he has granted to us his precious and exceedingly great promises. And here's what I want you to hear, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. So the true grace of God is God's divine power at work in us, enabling us to escape from the corruption of a sinful world, to come out of that world and be transferred into the kingdom of God in the church, where we can be transformed into the image of God as we become by grace what Jesus is by nature. Children of God whose lives reflect the image of of our heavenly Father and all that we say and all that we do as we become holy as God is holy. That's the true grace of God. And that's what we're going to talk about. I would talk about this until the Lord comes back because it's so important because this is what Christianity is. It's not this stuff that we've been taught where people say that they're sinners or they're sinners saved by grace. That is not Christianity. Christianity is about a transformed life that makes people like God through God's grace. And I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop right here. We'll talk more about this next week, right? Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the apostles that you've given us also to interpret your word and learn the truth about your grace. Lord, your grace is sufficient, as so many people have said, but we need to understand what it's sufficient to do. It's sufficient to save us from our sins, transform us into men and women who reflect the image of God. Would help us to begin to see the truth about grace, that it's your power at work in us. And then give us your grace, Lord, to live out the things that we read in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So they're going to sing a final song. Uh, while they do that, I want to invite you, if you want to pray with someone, you can come forward. I uh, always talk about what, what James said. If, if, uh, if one of you is sick, James says to uh, call the elders of the church to have them anoint you with oil in the, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make sick people well. And then James says, therefore, uh, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so, so that you may be healed. So James's healing is not just about physical healing. It's 
about spiritual healing. If there are things in your life that shouldn't be there, sins you've committed, come forward, get those things confessed, and then get forgiven for it so that you can walk out here in freedom from that thing. Confession is not about condemnation. Confession is about freedom, coming out and saying, I did this so that you can be cleansed from it. So if that's you, that you can come forward and pray. If you just want to pray about anything at all, you're welcome to come forward. People will be up here to pray with you. If you just want to pray by yourself, kneel down up here, you can do that. If you don't know the Lord and want to know how to know the Lord, then somebody will be available after service to talk about that. And again, as always, questions about something I've said, I'm available to talk about that as well. All right? So they're going to sing a final song. Before they do that, um, I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
just commends my